Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Imagine you were one of the disciples of Jesus and you wake up in a cold sweat remembering the horror of what had happened on Friday. Your friend, your teacher, the one you gave up everything to follow is dead. Crucified like a common criminal. If only you could have done something. If only the crowd had let him go instead of that murderer Barabbas. Your shouts of, let Jesus go, he's done nothing wrong, had been drowned out by the screams of the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. We will take responsibility for his death. We and our children, his blood will be on us and our children. You watched as he was beaten. You watched as a crown of thorns was pushed into his brow. You watched as he was forced to carry that heavy wood of a cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull. You watched as the soldiers nailed his hands and feet to the cross and raised it up to its stand. You cried as you watched his last hour of pain, suffering till he shouted, it is finished and breathed his last breath. As he died, it felt like something inside of you had died as well. Your dream shattered, your hope turned into fear, and your purpose now purposeless, everything gone. For three years you had been his disciple. How the days had flown by. It seems like only yesterday he asked you to follow him and become a fisher of men. You would listen to his every word, He spoke to you, and he spoke to the crowds of people throughout the region. Though if you were honest, there were times when you really didn't understand what he was saying, and you were always pleased he took the time to explain his words to you and the other disciples. All he had wanted was everything, and you gave it. All he had asked was that you believe, and oh, how you believed. You had seen the impossible. You had seen blind men see. You had seen the lame walk. You had even seen Lazarus, a dead man, live again. You'd believed with all your heart, but not anymore. Your belief was as dead as your master. As you lay on your bed, you begin to cry again. Seems like that all you have done since Thursday night. You think about your past, your present, even your future. There is nothing left now. All you can do is go home, to leave Jerusalem, to leave your hopes to leave your dreams and just go home. You might as well try and recover your yesterdays, try and go back to the life you had before. Your dreams are as dead as Jesus in his borrowed tomb, captured, beaten, crucified, dead and buried. My name is Thomas, and I'm one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for what you're going to say to our lives this morning. Lord, thank you for this, this series called Encounter. Lord, as we, as we give space, we give time, and we focus our attention on you and enable us to, to hear from you, to encounter with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak into our lives this morning. God, stir us this morning, even answer some of the questions that we have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever doubted that you'd make it through something? 
Have you ever had one of those moments where I remember when I was in year nine and I was facing my year nine tests and they don't seem that significant now, but I remember wondering, am I ever going to get through this? Obviously, year nine exams or tests weren't that important. But have you ever been in one of those moments? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's uh, uni or school exams. Maybe it's some financial challenges. Maybe it's some dramas with friends and family. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's challenges in pregnancy. Or maybe it's something more serious, like whether Brisbane Lions will beat the Geelong yesterday. Or whether New South Wales will make it three in a row in state of origin. Or will the Aussies actually beat the Poms in the Ashes? Uh, What about Melbourne? Yeah, let's not talk about Melbourne. (laughs) Have you ever wondered whether you'll make it through something? Have you ever looked out the window and kind of wondered, have have I got what I need to be able to get through today? Or maybe that is your today. Imagine what it must have been like to be the disciples. I mean, imagine what it must have been like, their best friend, their Messiah, this man that they'd given up everything for to follow is now been crucified on a cross. He's been crucified. He's been nailed to two sleepers that have been erected in the form of a cross and, and he's now dead. And, and that image, this image is scarred into their memories. As they watched Jesus being crucified, I kind of reckon that it would have been that moment where, where they felt like everything they knew, everything they were seemed to be falling apart in front of their eyes. They've given up everything to follow him. And now they've watched as Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been brutally murdered in front of them. Imagine what they must have been like the next day. Imagine what it must have been like when they woke up and they realized what had just happened the day before. Imagine what it must have been like when they looked at themselves and went, I don't know if I can make it through today. Tomorrow, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through the next week or the next, next few weeks, the next few months, or even, dare I say, the next few years. See, everything that they trusted in, everything that they put their faith in, everything that they'd risked on is now dead and buried. I mean, their life as they knew it has now been totally changed. Their belief system that has been totally flipped upside down and 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 and. and contrary to the people that they love and their family and their friends. And now they know that the the religious leaders are out to destroy them. Now everything has gone. And they're they're simply left with just a few questions and some doubts. And now we find the disciples scared to their wits. And they're hiding in their locker room. They're hiding away from everyone. And they're looking at each other with tears in their eyes. And they're questioning and they're doubting. And they don't know which way is up or down or left or right. And they're just simply questioning and wondering why. Wondering what? Wondering how? And not knowing what to do next. You see, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. It wasn't supposed to go down like this. What would you do? See, Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. And he was brokenhearted, so brokenhearted that he was, he was an introvert. And so he had to process this by himself. And so as he witnessed and saw Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, he, he removed himself away from everyone else that he knew. And he began to grieve and mourn and go through the process by himself. But Thomas is not just an introvert. But Thomas was a skeptic. 
He was a guy who didn't just follow the crowd and believe the same things that everyone else believed because that's what they were believing. But he needed cold, hard evidence to believe wholeheartedly before he could believe wholeheartedly. I mean, he'd seen Jesus getting nailed to the cross. He, see, he was there when Jesus said those famous words, it is finished. He was there when Jesus was taken from the cross and he was, he was wrapped in some garments and he was placed in a tomb. He was there and he witnessed and he saw, he saw it all. And all he had left was a realization that it was over. Not just over, over, like today's going to be over, but like it's over forever. But Thomas finally pulls himself together. And he kind of kind of drags himself out of the hole he dug himself into. And he, and he pulls himself to, together and he goes and he finds the rest of the disciples. And he's broken hearted. And he's, he's, he's unsure which, what was going to happen from these moments on. But he finds the other disciples. See, Thomas, as I said, was an introvert, but he's also a skeptic. And, he, and as he pulls himself together and he finds the other disciples, as he walks into the room, his mind is, is clouded and it's filled with all sorts of thoughts. Like, is Jesus who really, who he said he was? Because, I mean, if God was, if he was really God in form, how can he die? I mean, if Jesus was really God, then how, and he, and he said he was the Messiah of the world, but now he's dead and now he's buried like everyone else. And he went and he found the other disciples. I mean, we don't know why. Was it that he could gather together and cry with them? Or whether, was it that he could get, gather together and ask questions? Or, or maybe it was that they could get angry together over what had happened. But what we find is that when, when, when Thomas finds the other disciples, he doesn't, do, he doesn't find a group of people with, with tears of sadness in, the, in their eyes. But what he actually finds is he finds a group of people with, with tears of joy in their eyes. And, and he's like, that's a little bit inappropriate and that's a lot messed up. And, and, he, and then he hears them tell, they tell him about that, that Jesus has come back and he's not dead. And, 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 and Thomas is like, are you for real? I mean, we all saw that he was, he was nailed to the cross and he was, he was dead and he was dragged off and he said, he's finished. I mean, this kind of sounds pretty final. He says, what? I mean, there's good news and then there's ridiculous news. And there's inappropriate news. I mean, how dare you say he's alive when we all saw him dead? So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to open up to John chapter 20. We're going to jump into this story that I've been telling you about. John chapter 20, verse 24 says this. Now, Thomas, also known as Dynamis, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I, and I put my finger where the nails were and, and, and until I put, and I, sorry, and I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Let me just pause for a moment. I don't know about you, but as I read that, Thomas's response kind of seems fair enough, doesn't it? I mean, he saw Jesus dead. He saw him say, it is finished. He saw him dragged down and saw the spear thrust into the side. They saw all of this happen. And now they're saying, no, no, but he's alive. And, and, and Thomas kind of makes this statement of, yeah, whatever. I mean, you know what? I'm going to believe it when I see it. When I can put my hand and fingers in his hands and my fist in his side, you know, then I'll believe it. Yeah, whatever, boys. I don't know what you've been thinking or doing. 
Now, I just need crowd participation, crowd survey. Can everyone just raise their right hand for a moment? All right, everyone just raise their right hand for a moment. All right, raise your left hand for a moment. Just checking. All right, good. We've got hands all working. All right. Just crowd participation. Has anyone ever met someone that was dead that's now alive, like physically met them, and Yoda from Star Wars doesn't count? All right. Put your hand up if you're in that case. I don't see a hand in the room. Just everyone look around for a moment. No one's hands. No one's crazy here. All right, good. We're all... Okay, good. I mean, we all see... We all see a lot of people say they see things that we all doubt. Let me give you an illustration. You know, if we, if we think about the Loch Ness Monster, now people talk about the fact they've seen the Loch Ness Monster, now we would probably dispute the Loch Ness. I mean, some people talk about the Abominable Snowman. Now I know that Michael Previtt is, is enormously tall and, and some of us might think that maybe he is the son of the Abominable Snowman, but he's not. He's just Michael, he's, he's just Michael Previtt. Now some of, us, some of us think we've seen UFOs. Not going to ask for hands on that one. Some of us see, think we've seen Elvis. Some of us if, who are smaller think we've seen the tooth fairy, or maybe we're not so small. Some of us think we've seen Santa. There's kids in the room. Sorry about that. Uh, and so here we find Thomas is a pessimist. And you know what? I kind of feel bad for Thomas, and I kind of feel bad for pessimists, because they always get a bad rap, don't they? They always get a bad rap because they're the ones who are kind of the doom and gloom, the half-empty kind of people. But you know what? You know what I discovered? I did a little bit of research this week, and I discovered that being pessimist isn't a bad thing. Stats say that pessimists are, le- are less bothered by stress. They say that they're, they're le- they know when to give up. They say that they are less, uh, less disappointed by people. That's probably because they expect them to let them down. But anyway, they're less disappointed by people. They say they, uh, they aren't shocked uh, by much. And research says that they live longer and they have better relationships. Who wants to be a pessimist this morning? (laughs) Let's jump back into the story for a moment. Verse 26 goes on to say, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Pause. The disciples are back in in a room. They're back in the upper room and there's, and there's this sense of they're trying to figure out what they're going to do next. They're, they're trying to figure out how is this all going to pay out. I mean, what, what's Jesus' next move? I mean, he's died and now there's rumours of, of him coming back alive. And, and, and then there's all the whispers around the place that, uh, that Jesus is alive. And I can kind of imagine Thomas leaning against the wall in the corner going, yeah, whatever. I'm going to believe it when I, when I see it. Remember the hands and the fists and the everything else. And so here we find Thomas in this place. In fact, here we find all of the disciples. And they're there because they're hiding in fear. They're there because they know that at any moment there could be a knock on the door and the centurions could kick down the door and the Jewish leaders could run in and capture them and throw them in prison or even worse. But they're sitting this time in this room and there's a sense of not sorrow in the room but there's now a spark of expectation. See, there's a, there's a rumor and, 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 there's, and there's whispers around the room. He's risen. He's risen. Kind of like that whisper. He's risen. He's risen. And there's, and there's this newfound sense of joy. There's this newfound sense of expectation. And then there's the pessimist and the doubter. We continue reading. Through the, the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Have you ever been caught red-handed? A lot of us are parents or grandparents here, and you know that moment where you're lying in bed and you hear the, 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 the crunch or the, the, the sound of either chips opening and the packets rustling or chocolates. And you know that moment as a parent when you both wake up and you look at each other and bed's really comfortable and you don't want to get out? You see the rock, paper, scissors, who has to get out to... You know, and, and so one of you loses. So, and so, you know, I remember that moment of walking in and opening the pantry or, you know, closing the pantry door because the kids were standing behind. And I remember seeing the kids with chocolate smeared all over their face. And what do they say? You know, when I say, did you eat some chocolate? Are you eating chocolate? What do they say? No. Have you ever been in one of those moments? We've all been in those moments where we've been caught red-handed with something. Now, imagine what it must have been like for Thomas. I mean, Thomas made all his stats and go, yeah, whatever. I'm going to believe it when I say it. I mean, I, you know, he's back. I'm like, whatever, boys. You guys are nuts and you guys are crazy. Imagine what it must have been like for Thomas in this moment when Jesus is standing there and he's going like this. And you go, oh. But to make it worse, Jesus then knows already what he said, reminds Thomas of what he says. And he reminds him of what he said about, you know, the, the hands and the fingers and the side and the fists and the everything else. And he invites him. And then he invites him to do it. I mean, talk about having egg on your face, being caught red-handed. See, G Thomas doubts that Jesus is alive. And I don't know about you, but I, I just can't blame him for probably thinking that. See, we live and we work in a society that is highly skeptical against our Christian faith. They think that it's a bunch, of, a bunch of really old stories found in a really old, big, fat book that's totally irrelevant and, and is totally irrational. You know, many of our society think, you know what, the Christian faith is just there for people who are weak and it's a crutch to get you through your life. But also, it's now considered by some as dangerous. But I don't think that God is overly insecure. I mean, Revelations 22, 13 says this. God talking about himself. He says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, you've got to have a pretty good self-confidence in yourself to kind of make those statements. I mean, after church, I'm probably not going to walk up to Kerry and go, Kerry, what do you think about yourself? And he's going to go, well, Dave, you know what I was thinking about? I was just thinking during the week, I, I would probably think that I'm the alpha and I am the omega. I am the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. I mean, God here has a, God has a pretty good self-level, self-confidence. He doesn't get worried he doesn't have a breakdown when we question and we wonder and we doubt at times. See, he, know, he, he doesn't because he made us like he made us. And he made us with inquisitive minds. He made us with minds that ask questions because we want to grow. We want to grow up and we want to learn more stuff. And so we, we begin to ask questions about life and we begin to ask questions about what could happen after life. And we begin to ask questions like, is there really a God? And if there really is a God, what's he like? See, as Christians, we do doubt and we do question at times. We struggle at times and we cry at times when what we think should happen doesn't always happen. 
And you know what? I'm going to confess on behalf of all of us that we are kind of, we're not that dissimilar to Thomas. In fact, we're very, very similar to Thomas. Because Tim, Thomas was, was affected by what he saw, he was affected by what he knew, and he was, affected, he was affected by what he felt. Because of his anger and his disappointment and his hurt, all of these things weighed on him and he began to struggle. See, we all have these emotions. These motions are evident in our lives at times when circumstances that we find ourselves in aren't always joyful, aren't always exciting, aren't always good and seemingly for us. And in those moments, we can tend to build up walls and we can question, and at times, we can quit. You see, we all doubt and we all question at times, and it's okay. But Thomas didn't give up in that moment. Thomas didn't walk away from his faith in that, didn't walk away from Jesus in that moment. And I love verse 27, when, when Jesus comes to him and, and what we find, and he says, you know what, here's my hand, put your finger in, here's my side, put your fist in. And what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't come to Thomas like I would probably come to Thomas. Jesus doesn't come to Thomas and start to mock him and make fun of him and go, hey, look at my hand, you know, oh, you know, he doesn't, come. He doesn't take the mickey out of him. And because of this encounter that Thomas has with Jesus, it changes his life. You see, it turns, that, that, that encounter with Jesus concretes the fact that Jesus is who he says he was. It concretes him, it concretes in his mind that he is the Messiah. In fact, he, he is his Messiah. It concretes the fact that he is and he did what he did because he loves who he loves, which is everyone that he is the Messiah, that he is the good news of the world. But just like Thomas, we doubt. But his, if we look at his stories, we look at our stories, we can both see irrational and experiential reasons why it's absolutely reasonable to have a faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, if you look at the archaeological findings and, and you look at the number of witnesses and the quality of the historical documents that have been found, there is good reason for each one of us to be confident in what we believe, that Jesus was real, that walked the earth, and that is who he says he is. And we could do it. But there's even more compelling reasons. Because... We live in the fact that we see his presence still at work in our world today. See, we, we, we live in a place where we, we still see Jesus changing lives. We can see his presence can be tra uh, has been transformational in people's lives in this campus. You know, as I look around this room and I, and I see so many of you that have given your lives to Jesus for the first time. You know, I, I talked to Glenn before the service and I see what God has done in his life. I talked to Janine who just a couple of weeks ago had, gave her life to Jesus. And I see how God is at work and his presence is at work in normal, ordinary people's lives. And I see how has it been at work in my life and throughout our community, and throughout our world. See, Jesus is alive, and he is who he said he was, and he wants a relationship with each one of us. But you see, something happened. Something happened in Thomas that day. 
See, rather than just running away uh, in, in shame and guilt, he ran towards Jesus. You see, in that moment, his life was changed. His doubts were eased and his questions were answered. See, in that moment, something happened in Thomas. And we know this because, because we see that it didn't just happen in Thomas, but it happened in all the disciples. Because what happened after this is they gathered together and they, they I don't know if they got a map, they probably didn't do a map because they didn't have maps back then. But anyway, they, they, they divvied up the then known world. And they said, hey, you know what, John, you're going to go over here. And, and Matthias, you're going to go over here. And, and, and Peter, you're going to go over here. And they began to divvy up the world to say, hey, you know what, your responsibility is to now go and tell that portion of the world about Jesus who was just standing here a second ago. Who is and was and is still to come. And we know this because they had a confidence in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so they divvied up the world to go and preach and tell the good news about what Jesus has done. Do you know how the rest of their lives lived out? Do you know how the rest of the lives of the disciples finished? Let me tell you. Peter and Paul were both, were both martyred. Peter was beheaded. Paul was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die like his saviour. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Philip was cruelly martyred in Rome. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was martyred in South, Southern Arabia. James was stoned to death in Syria. Simon was killed in Persia because he didn't sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias was burned to death in Jerusalem. And John died the, an old man. What about Thomas? Remember Thomas? Remember the guy who doubted and questioned? And, well, Thomas's life looked like this. He went through the parts of the Roman Empire telling about Jesus and he went to, to India and around India and he, and he gave his life to, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ and he died a martyr's death pierced through with spears from four soldiers my question to you this morning is would you die for a made up story okay let's, that's a little extreme let me ask you this question would you move from your friends and family for a myth? Would you give up your job for a fairy tale? Now, none of us would, yeah? None of us would, would sacrifice whether it's a job or a, or a, or a move or, a, or some friends and some family, let alone dying for a myth, a made-up story. But the disciples did. See, something happened that day. Something happened in their lives as they encountered Jesus in that place, in that way. And from that moment, everything changed for them. And something changed for Thomas. See, verse 28 says this. When, when Jesus turns up and he shows him his hands and he shows him his side, Thomas doesn't kind of kick the dust and look shamefully down at the ground and mumble something back to Jesus. Now what, Jesus, what, what Thomas does is he looks at Jesus in the eyes. And he looks him in the eyes and he, and he says with a sense of boldness and confidence. This is the words that came out of a doubters, a skeptic's mouth. He said these words, 
my Lord, my God. See, for Thomas, there was no halfway. He was all in or not in. See, doubting for Thomas wasn't just for doubting's sake, but doubting for Thomas was so that he could become sure of what it was that was in front of him. And when he did, he was all in, just like the disciples were, all the way to death. See, some point in our, the line of our lives, in the journey of our lives in our faith, each one of us have to make a choice to follow Jesus. We have to choose to believe. We had to decide that, that we believe in Jesus actually did the things that he did and, and is who he said he is. We had to accept fully even when we didn't understand because we had to believe in him. Tony Kempola is a is an evangelist and is a university lecturer in secular universities all around the US. And he tells a story about how one day he'd just been standing in front of a large crowd of people like this and, and presenting his, uh, his lecture. And at the end of the lecture, one of the students stood up and, and said this, Doctor, you seem like a reasonable man. How can, you, how can you, with your sophistication, really believe in the Bible? Tony Campolo replied, it's easy. I decided to. And once I decided that I believed in it, I spent the next 35 years of my life accumulating arguments to support what I really believed. But reason only came in afterwards. It only supported what I'd already committed to. Now, before you get nasty with me, young man, Tony Campolo replied, I've got to ask you a question now. Why don't you believe in the Bible? Isn't it because you've decided to? Now, please don't tell me that it's because you've read it from cover to cover. I mean, spare me that. Don't, don't tell me that, that, you've, uh, that all this jazz about it's full of contradictions because I want you to name me five. Which there was silence because they never can remember five. Somewhere along the line, you decided not to believe and after you decided not to believe, you've begun accumulating arguments to support your commitment of non-belief. The young man looked at Tony Campolo and said, but so you don't understand. See, for me to believe in God, I have to have a God that I can understand. Tony Campolo stopped. And he looked at the young man and he said this, young man, God refuses to be that small. See, we've, here's the deal for us. If you want God to be small enough for you to understand, then He's too small to worship. See, if we've got to realize that we serve a big God who is bigger than we can possibly ever understand or explain. That we've got to understand that God is the God who can accomplish way more than I can possibly dream or imagine. That we need to boldly declare that our God can do exactly what He said and is exactly who He said He was. And when we do, see, when we do, I'm convinced that our world will want to know 
Thomas was a skeptic. He was a man who doubted. He was a man who questioned. He's a man who struggled. And I reckon every one of us have probably done all or most of those things. No, scratch that, all of those things. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you doubting God for? What do you need to start believing God for? See, you've got to know that we were never designed to live this life on our own. One, outside of relationship with God, but two, outside of relationship with people who want to love you and want to journey with you and want to help answer some of the questions and want to just love on you and be part of your life. And that's why for us, life groups are so important. Because it is a place where we can grow. It is a place where we can question. It's a question. It's a place where we can doubt. But you also know that if you've been coming here for a little while, you also know that after every service, just like there will be this morning, there's a group of people who want to pray with you, who want to stand with you in your doubt and in your questions and in your struggles and go, you know what? I'm going to join my faith with your faith. And I'm going to say that my God is bigger than what you think. My God is greater than what you're facing. And so you know what? Right now, we're going to, we want to stand with you and we want to pray with you and we want to encourage you. But I want to ask one question of you this morning. Maybe it's really simple. The question that I want to ask this morning is what choice do you need to make? What choice do you need to make? Maybe the choice is this morning you say, you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe there's been doubts and there's been questions and stuff that have clouded your mind. You need to just put those aside and say, you know what, this is an act of faith. But maybe for some of you, the, the other choice that you need to make this morning is to stop listening to the voices maybe that you say about yourself. Maybe it's the voices of what people have been saying about you. That you are worthless. That you can't do it. You know, maybe you need to listen to God's voice again. See, this series has been about doing something a little bit different. Rather than preaching sermons, we've just wanted to invite us into the story that we might encounter Jesus in just a really different and fresh way, maybe like we've never done. For you this morning, the ones that are doubting and that are questioning, and that's kind of stopped you in your faith. That I sense what God wants to say this morning. It's, it's time to take that step of faith over that doubt line, just like Thomas did when, when Jesus came to him and he, and, he, and, he, and he showed him his hands. But Thomas didn't run from Jesus. He ran to Jesus. What choice do you need to make this morning? So this this little passage finishes with a verse, verse 29, and it says this, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not believed and yet... Sorry, yet... Sorry, let's say that again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Jesus wasn't there with them, isn't with here us now. 
But Jesus is talking to us. So you know what? Blessed are the ones that, that can't see me in physical form standing next to me on stage. Because blessed are the ones who have the faith to believe when they've not seen. What choice do you need to make this morning? Do you need to say yes to Jesus? you need to say, say, stop listening to the voices that are coming against you? Maybe they're the self-voices, the words that we say to ourselves, or maybe it's the voices that are around us. See, what or who is the truth that you're listening to? Is your trust in your paycheck, your marriage, your friends, your work, your church, your whatever it might be, or is your faith in Jesus? The one who is alive, the one who is for you. Let me pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this story about a man who doubted. God, thank you that he doubted, which gives us permission to doubt at times. Takes the pressure and the burden of us. But God, thank you that he didn't stop in his doubt and run with his doubt, but he ran to you. The questions that he had, God, we thank you that you answered them. God, the questions that we have, thank you that you answered them. But God, we also realize there is a faith component to this. There is a faith stance, a positioning that we've got to take that goes, you know what, I might not have all the answers, but my answer, my faith is still in you. God, I pray for those people this morning that haven't yet said yes to you. And when I ask the question, what choice do you need to make? God, this morning they said, that's the, that's the decision. That's the choice I need to make. God, for people here this morning who are saying, you know what, I, I need to stop listening to the voices. I need to stop looking to, to my paycheck or to, to people around me or to my family or my marriage or whatever it might be to try and find acceptance and love. God, that we need to simply, my choice is that I need to go to you. So God, the choice that we need to make this morning God, let us have the courage. Let us have the boldness. And let us simply decide. Let us simply decide this morning. Decide the, the faith stance that we've made. God, that you are with us and that you are for us. In Jesus' name. And before the team come and we stand and sing this last song, I ask the question, what choice do you need to make? The choice that I ask you is, do you need to say yes to Jesus? To begin this journey, say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. In fact, I've just got, maybe I've got more questions now. But I need to take a step of faith. I need to take a step of faith and, and put my life in Jesus' hands knowing that I don't have it all together, that I may not have it all together ever. But that doesn't mean that God is not for me and He wants a relationship with me. So this morning, I'm just going to invite you to do something really courageous. 
We're not going to get anyone to close their eyes because I wanted to remind, I want to tell you, and I want to remind all of us that this is the best decision you will ever make. It is the greatest choice you will ever choose. It's not something to be ashamed of and kind of in guilt, like, oh, I'm going to say, yes, Jesus, it's a really bad thing. No, all of us here who have, who have raised a hand somewhere along the line and said yes to Jesus, we all know and we're all filled with such a sense of expectation and excitement here this morning going, no, please put up your hand because I know full well that this has changed my life and it will change yours. So this morning, will you do something really courageous? Know that we're with you. That God is for you so much that He went to the cross for you. And He loves you so much that He wants a relationship with you. This morning, I'm going to drag this out. I'm just going to ask you on the count of one. Will you raise your hand with me? So Jesus, this is my day. This is my moment. And I want to begin that journey with you. Put my doubts and questions aside and take that step of faith. Are we ready? One. Come on. Is that you this morning? To begin this journey so that we can begin this journey with you, that we can walk alongside you. We simply say yes. hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.